I want you to turn to Psalms 23 again tonight. Psalms 23, the shepherd's psalm, the most popular portion of Scripture. That part of the Scripture that the world knows, that non-Christians know, everybody's familiar with the 23rd Psalm. Lots of people quote it in adversity and difficulty at grave sites, wherever a man is sort of out of his wits and doesn't know what to do. Very often they look at Psalms 23. And it's a good psalm, obviously, because it begins by describing who's leading and taking care of us. Oh, who says he wants to? He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He maketh me and so forth. We read all of that last week. You've got it in front of you there. There's no reason to read all of that again. But this is a psalm that God gives to us, it's his word to us, depicting how he relates to us. This is how we are to relate to him. This is how he wants to relate to us. These 13 blessings in six verses describe what God's intentions are to us as he relates to us as a shepherd. Because we're shown in the Bible, we're told about sheep. Sheep are described to us. They're helpless. All they can do is run. They can't defend themselves. They wander off. They don't do well alone. The Bible, even Jesus spoke of one of the great problems with Christian people or his people. He said they are scattered abroad in Matthew 9 like sheep without a shepherd. And, of course, the picture we're to see when we think about that is that, well, if there's nobody overseeing these sheep, if there's nobody the sheep can look to for guidance, support, and protection, they're all left to themselves, and they just wonder, and none of them are able to take care of themselves. You know, years ago, if an antelope is of the sheep family, the goat family, you know, with the antelope out west in a great snowstorm out there, man out there that lives there was telling me about it. They were trying to get somewhere for shelter, and they ran into the corner of a fence, where the fence makes a corner. And they all bunched up there, and most of them froze to death because they didn't know what to do. Well, in a sense, if they had had somebody there to shoo them away, or if they were sheep and there was a shepherd, he could have turned them aside. They would have followed him. They would have been protected. They would have continued bearing wool, been beneficial to the shepherd and to those who benefit from their wool. So they would have continued to live and they would have done well. But the Bible says that without a shepherd, sheep really don't know what to do. It's every man fending for himself, left to his own definitions, left to your own opinions, left to your own ideas. We got a world that calls itself Christian, and that's the way a lot of Christians are. They've even come to the place where they don't need a shepherd. They don't need anything. I know as much as anybody does. I don't need somebody to tell me what to do. He puts shepherds in the church to tell you what to do. He does give you a way to, to live, but it only works when you yield to it. Jesus is not a shepherd over us by force any more than he is Lord of your life by force. Jesus is to us what he wants to be to us by our consent. 
we must yield. We must desire for him to have the oversight of us. This whole 23rd Psalm is to be to us a picture of not only who we are, but who he is and what to us he is that we can look forward to. Listen to this. We quoted this last time in Hebrews 13 and verse 20, that Jesus is a great shepherd of the sheep. God calls us sheep. In 1 Peter 2.25, he is called the bishop and shepherd of our souls. We need guidance that only he can give. And he's willing to do that. He's willing to so involve himself in the leadership and the management of our lives that absolutely nobody in this room comes up short at the end of your life. That we will all do well. As he describes it here, we'll get to that in just a moment. Remember John 10 last week, Jesus said, I am the door. And then he said, he said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep and the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. We've got a guarantee here. We have a divinely given promise that guarantees us an entrance into the kingdom at the end of our days, if we'll follow the shepherd. And we have a promise from the shepherd that he will lead us and no man shall pluck us out of his hand. Look at the joy that we have really to look forward to. And yet, for a lot of people, this psalm doesn't bring joy. I don't know why they read it. It's just though it's some memorized poetic thing in the Bible, but as far as the realism of it, the realistically speaking, that God will do all these things, said he would, but I don't know if he will or not. And that's what's happened to the church. If something is lacking, something that the shepherd has said to the sheep hasn't registered. It hasn't found that place in our heart that makes faith come forth and, and joy and peace. Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep, and if any man enter in, he shall be saved. He shall be saved. And shall go in and out and find pasture. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. Did you know that belongs to you? While you're sitting here on this lively Wednesday night, did you know that your shepherd who is willing to take the oversight of the lives, any life, all of our lives, and turn it into something glorious and good and assure it of making the end of your walk heaven and the bliss of all of that. He's willing to lead you and bring you there. And while he's doing it, he said, I am come that you, as your shepherd, that you as my sheep might have life and have it abundantly. No more sorrow there in my father's house. Because he is able to turn your nights into day and your darknesses into light. He can do that because he's a shepherd. He's not everybody's shepherd. He doesn't lay down his life for everybody. He said he lays down his life for his sheep. If you're one of his sheep, if you've entered in by him as the door, you came through him and you were born again and he has saved you, you're his. Now, God has given Jesus as a picture of the shepherd. 
But the shepherd that we experience down here on this earth, that we can see the visible shepherd, are called under shepherds. Turn to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 11. And he gave some to the church, some to be apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of ministering, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, the body of Christ, that's a local expression of a church. A body of Christ is a local word. This, for us, is the body of Christ right here. There may be other bodies in every other places, but this, for us, is the body of Christ. We're not a bunch of knee bones, never have met leg bones anywhere somewhere else. We're all right here. And God says that over each gathering of born-again believers called together into an assembly by the Holy Spirit, God has appointed, we call it anointed, somebody. You didn't learn to be one. You were made one. You may have to learn how to function, but he calls you being a shepherd. We call them pastors or elders or bishops. The Bible has five different English names for three different Greek words, all of them more or less describing the same office. Those who oversee, those who lead the people. Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? He said, feed my sheep. Feed. Now, the word feed is one of the things that a shepherd does. In fact, the feed is one of the words for shepherd. It's a word which, which means to us to teach, to instruct, to show the way that we are to live as God reveals it to you so the people, upon hearing it, can understand it and make that choice to follow. You won't follow the Lord because you've heard about it. That's a choice you have to make. And God puts pastors and shepherds and teachers in the church to instruct sheep. God isn't going to make us obey him. He isn't going to make us believe him. He's not going to make us follow him. He brought you together in a place like this because he loves you, and he wants you to make that choice. If a man loves me, he will do what I say, the Bible says. So he said, through teachers and stuff in the church, people that you know, people you can compare yourself to, people whose weaknesses and flaws you can see and know about. But he puts people, normal, ordinary people in the church to lead, and all they can do in leading is speak words. Speak, and they speak words. Now, you're listening to this. You can shut down and just say, I don't know about all that. I think people have done that for years. I don't know about that. Eh, no big deal. I don't want to go. I don't want to hear the same old stuff again. That's a choice you make. It's a terrible choice to hear what God says and not do it. But it's the worst choice for the preacher who knows what to say but doesn't say it because he's afraid of the sheep. Now, you think that doesn't happen? Do you think it's possible that a man who is employed by a congregation would not say certain things that might offend that congregation? Well, of course. But that's not what God is called to be a pastor. He may be have the name, but that doesn't mean that they are. If it's a pastor, he represents Jesus in the ministry of a pastor, an expression of what Christ gave a man to say to people.
Now, people had the decision to make. You have heard his word. You've got a Bible. You can search the scriptures to see if what you heard is in the Bible. And then if it is in the Bible, then you need to ask yourself, am I doing that? Am I willing to do that? Why am I not doing that? That's what it says. I read that. I can see that. The preacher doesn't have to say any more. He pointed me to the word. I can see it. And I asked myself the question because we're not followers because we're hearers. We're not followers because we attend church. We're followers when we make a decision to be a doer of the word and not just a hearer only. So he preaches, and this is, this is what you do. You say, well, that's what I'm going to do. Because his job is to oversee people. I turn to Jeremiah 7. Get in the middle of your book, slightly to the right. Find the book of Jeremiah. Right after Isaiah. Jeremiah chapter 23. Look at verse 4. There's a number of verses in Jeremiah 23 about shepherds and Sheep and the problems that they're having and the reason that they're having the problems this goes back to the, to the bad leadership that they've experienced. But here's what God says he does, and this is, as our shepherd, this is what we ought to expect. Because this is what God said he will do concerning his people, which he calls sheep. Verse 4. And I will set up shepherds over them, which will feed them. As a result of being fed properly, they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. Now, this is the ideal. Let me ask you a question. Could it be like this? Should it? Be like this. All right, now everybody's nodding their head. That's good. We're on the same page. God says, and I will set up shepherds over them, which will feed them. Now, you know what that means, don't you? A shepherd is one who leads, and we'll get to that in a minute. He leads them to where green pasture is. He surveys where the sheep are going. Can he keep an eye on his people here? Is this good ground? Yes. Okay, then he leads his people here. And where they are here, he watches over them for their well-being. And if something is going on, he protects them or he separates them when they start bullying with each other and all that. And, and that's what a shepherd does. He cares about his sheep. He doesn't care about how he feels, whether he's having a good day or a bad day, or if he's tired or weary. He cares about the well-being of his sheep. Now, that's the picture you see. This is what we're supposed to see. This is how God concerns himself with us and our well-being. He said, I will set up shepherds over them who will feed them. They will teach me thy way, O Lord, that I may walk in thy truth. Thy word is truth, Jesus said. And because they're going to be fed, look at these three things. One, be no fear. Is it possible that we could have such a secure relationship with God based on what he has told us that we are actually secure? It's there. That's what this word means. No fear. Our security is in Jesus. 
What do you say in Psalm 91? Under his wings thou shalt trust. It's a picture of being protected and cared for. A place to hide in the storms of life. He said how I would have gathered you together as a mother hen would her chicks. He said, but. This is a problem right here in the church. Not here, but I mean this is a problem in the church. And if it's here, then it's here. But the chicks don't want to run under the, the wings and be taken care of. So much independence today. I can do it. I don't need any help. But anyway, secondly, he said, neither shall they be dismayed. The word means to be overcome with fear, to be overwhelmed with with fear. That helpless, what are we going to do? I don't know what we're going to do. There's no solution to this. I don't know how we're going to deal with this. Folks, that comes to a lot of people in their life. Maybe not everybody, but it comes to a lot of people. You reach that point in your walk in this world in which things are in front of you that you don't know how to deal with. You're not even sure anybody knows how to deal with it. What are we going to do? How are we going to handle it? What are we going to say? I don't know. And you call on the phone. I don't know. We'll pray with us or something. Do something. And yet God says this. The effect of being properly fed, what God gives us to feed on, will deliver us from that so that that will not be our response to these problems. It's just like this. You'll never cast your care over on the Lord, as I said a while ago, until you're convinced that he'll take care of it and he meant what he said. And when you cast your care over on the Lord, you don't strive about it anymore. You give it to God. Faith is an act showing that you're trusting in the Lord. It's not easy, but it's the way of life. It's the way God's people live. He said, they shall not be dismayed. Didn't he say in Psalm 34, he had delivered us from most of our fears? Who did? The Lord did. Then we shouldn't have it, should we? All right. And fourthly, he said, they'll not be lacking. Not one sheep shall be missing out of the whole herd. He cares about each one. He doesn't say, well, I still have 99 out of 100. Nope, I want all 100 of them. He's not going to lose anybody. But he said, none of them shall be missing or lost. He will take care of them. Now, this is our shepherd. This is what Psalm 23 presents us with in the first half of the first verse. That God is your holy, eternal shepherd. There is nothing he cannot do. There is no place for us to eat that he cannot find. There is no problem he cannot fix. There is no enemy that he cannot keep keep away from you. Only God in all of life is able to put a hedge around your life so that nothing can get in there and attack you. Like he did Job. Only God is able to make all things work together for your good. Only God. Nobody else can do that. But that's what a shepherd does for his people. Because that's his life to us. I am come that you might have life. I lay down my life for you. Didn't he say learn of me? Yoke yourself with me. Stand with me. Go with me in the same direction I'm going. And learn who I am. 
because you'll find rest. Didn't he say this? You'll find rest unto your souls. May I suggest to you tonight that the Christian church is full of restless people. Restless. I didn't say they didn't have problems. There are a lot of problems out there bigger than us. But there's somebody bigger than all of our problems. And that's our shepherd. And folks, when you get up in the morning and you're following him, he knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly how you feel. He knows what troubles you. And while he's leading you, he knows exactly how to fix it. That's who we follow. If God be with me, who can be against me? No wonder the name of the Lord is a high, high tower and the righteous runneth unto it is safe. Look who he is. Look at all the descriptions just in this psalm. Let's go to verse 1. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now, the Hebrew says the, the word want means to be lacking, to be needy, or to decrease. But neither is that a promise that everybody is going to be lottery rich. Three cars in one garage. That would be a miracle. He just said, I shall not want. Remember, when David wrote this, I understand when David wrote this, he was in a wilderness sleeping in caves, fleeing from an army. And while he's fleeing and being cautious every day, where's the enemy? Where's the enemy? And they are trying to hide and, and slip around and avoid attacks and avoid warfare from his own family. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall find my security in Jesus. I shall find all my hope in him. I will not be concerned about how I'm going to eat or dress tomorrow. He said about food and clothing to do what? Take no thought. Remember when Jesus sent his disciples out in Matthew 10, he sent them out two by two, and he told them as instructions, said, now when you go out, whatever house you enter into, that stay there and so forth. Don't go from house to house. If they don't want you, shake the dust off your feet, go somewhere else. But he said, don't take any money. Don't take any extra supplies. When you want to walk this way, you're going to walk by faith. You're going to let me take care of you. Don't take a sword. Don't defend yourself. I don't want you to take this or that or anything else. I don't care if you do have a right to carry a sword. I don't want you to haul one out. I want you to trust the Lord. I'm sending you out as my ambassadors, a sheep amongst wolves. Difficulties will line your whole life when you're walking with the Lord. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of you. None of you will lack. And then remember later, he brought them back and he said, when I sent you out without script or without purse, without a sword or anything else, he said this, did any of you lack? They said, no. Man, the first house I went to, you know, I didn't even have pockets to pull out to show they were empty because Christians aren't beggars anyway, so we don't do that. We just went into the town, and by divine direction, God would lead them to somebody that, who would put them up. 
And they stayed in that house, and whatever's in that house, that's where they lived, and that's what they ate. And Jesus said, put your blessing on that house. Boy, I can do that in my house. Put your blessing on this house. And God said, I'll bless it. But he said, you didn't like anything, did you? And they said, no. Some of them said, look, actually, we did pretty good. Well, that's a picture you get. The Lord is my shepherd. He overseeing my life, your young lives, your older lives, never f- given up on you. Didn't call you to give up on you. Brought you to himself. He said, you follow me, I'll be your shepherd. Just remember, you will not lack. My God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Yeah, but what about some of the difficulties out there? Go to verse 2. Psalms 23 and verse 2. He said, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Isn't that good? There's something about serenity. There's a, a picture. You know, you, We all have a different kind of little mental picture of that. He makes me. He's the cause and the reason that I can even lie down and not be concerned and set up all night. Jesus said, the Lord says, I will make you to lie down in green pastures. Now, what does that tell us? What are we supposed to see about that? Well, put your finger there in Psalms and go to the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 34. This is Ezekiel 34 is about shepherds and God's people being fed by them and being abused by them. But Ezekiel 34 and verse 14. I will feed them in a good pasture. Now, let me ask you something. Do you really believe that? Now, I know you've got to believe because it's in the Bible, but personally, your personal experience, do you believe that? Do you believe where you are is good pasture? Don't accommodate me or don't say anything out, out loud, but do you believe it's good pasture? Because if it's not, you need to find it. The purpose of pasture is to eat. The quality of food, the, you know, the land management, the... Uh, uh, the soil and the grass and the, the nutrition and whatever is involved in providing good grass. That's just shepherd's goal. The sheep will come and then they are to partake of the grass that is being fed. Some don't like it. They would rather have weeds. They'd rather have weeds and, and, and <laughs> whatever sheep eat that aren't getting fed well. I've seen fields, and I drive through the countryside around Shelby County here. I've seen fields with too many cattle in it and not enough grass to feed them. Not too far from where I live, there's been times in driving home, I see a lot of ironweed growing in the fields. Now, cows don't like ironweed. I've never known one to eat it, but I haven't been around them enough. Maybe they do. Usually mow that stuff down so that the grass will grow a little better, perhaps. 
But I've seen so many cows in one little area that they can't even get their teeth on a blade of grass because it's eaten down to the very bottom. Now, that's not good management, and you're not raising good cows, and they're not happy and contented, or they're certainly not at peace. That's why they often get through a fence or tear fences up or gates or something to get to the other side where there's something better to eat. You ever drive down the road and see cows with a head under a gate or under a fence? And you stop and you say, it's just as good over here as it is right here. Why you got your head under there for? Because you always got people like that. You know, the grass is greener on the other side of the barbed wire. But anyway, he said here in verse 14, I will feed them in good pasture. You decide if it is or not. But if it's not good pasture here, and I mean this, then you really should find a place where it is. Don't spend the rest of your life just being a part of something that's not bringing you into the deeper walk with the Lord. Amen. I will feed them in a good pasture. And upon the high mountains of Shelby County, sorry, of Israel, shall their fold be be there and they shall lie in a good fold and in a fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel I will feed my flock and will cause them to lie down saith the Lord the picture you have there is contentment and security and safety they tell me in reading stories about sheep that sheep will not lie down and not be content if they're afraid if they are in contention with other sheep, there's always seem one always wants to butt everybody. Or if there's some kind of other tension that they're going through or going around that they're, they don't lie down well, they don't sleep well, they don't do well, they probably don't grow well and feed out well. But these will. Because where the Lord leads them, He feeds them. Where He leads me, I will follow what He feeds me, I will swallow. Amen. The other part of that, I won't. Third verse that I gave myself, I won't do that one. But he says, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. Albert Barnes says in his commentary, Flocks that lie down on grass fully fed or satisfied, the wants of the soul are met and satisfied, and we are content in Jesus. How many of you could say tonight, just in this room. How many of you truly are content tonight in Jesus Christ? You know, I know he's going to feed me tomorrow, but I'm content. He's going to take care of me. All the days of my life, he will be with me. He will never leave me nor forsake me. He's concerned about how well I'm doing, and he has a program for that. He will cause me to hear his word about that. He will teach me his way. You've got to like that. Teach me thy ways, O Lord. Show me how I should live. Show me how I should walk. Because if if I believe that, it's like Romans 8 says, Whom should I fear? Of what should I be afraid? If God be for me, who can be against me? So you lay your head down and sleep. Well, you're not afraid. Something's not going to sneak up on me because my shepherd watches over my life. There's not many Christians here. There's not many that like that. 
but it's there for us to believe. And maybe we just haven't seen it the way we should see it. So we teach on that. We mention that in Scripture. Give you an opportunity to examine yourself to see if that really is working for you or if you really believe that. Go back to Psalm 23 and verse 2 again. He leadeth me beside the still waters. One of the wonderful promises in Scripture to God's people is guidance and counsel. When he said in Psalm 32 and verse 8 that he will counsel us with his eye on us, it means that God personally is attentive to us individually every day and at all times. That God cares. Amen? That he cares about us. He is attentive to our needs. He watches over us for our good. He will keep us. Again, no evil shall befall us. No plague will come near our dwelling. Because God assigns angels to us. And their assignment is that in all of our ways, they will keep us. Not even dash our foot against a stone. God cares about all things about our lives. Because he's God and then he's the great shepherd. But when it says, he leads me beside the still waters, it has a sense here of guiding people. Making sure you get where you're going the way God wants you to get there. God's people are not frantic, unsure, unsettled, frantic people. That's not the picture that God gives of his people. They're like sheep who lie down and there are people like sheep who are led beside the still waters. There's this certain kind of serenity and quiet joy that we have. And when the storms of life come, we expect them to come. They said they would come. We just trust the Lord that he'll take care of us. Have you ever heard that song, There is a place of quiet rest? There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God's play like you've heard that before. So I don't have to sing another verse of it, okay? Oh, Jesus, blessed Redeemer, near to the heart of God, hold us who wait before you, near to the heart of God. Something like that. Something like that. The question is, though, is that real? I know it's verbal, and I know it's recorded, and I know I've heard it, and I know we sing it, and I know I've read that. But is it to me real as though I really have a living shepherd in my life? Can me and my wife look at the unseen past? I mean, somebody was there that we couldn't see. Can I look back in my life And have a testimony that God is performing what he said in this book. I see incidents of it all through my life. Is it there? Should we not have that as our testimony? Have you ever had turmoil in your life? Have I ever had turmoil in my life? Is the Pope Catholic? (laughs) Of course I have. So have you. 
trouble comes. In the world, Jesus said in John 16, you will have tribulation. But what did he say? Be of good cheer. Rejoice. I've overcome the world. I know what you're going through. I went through the same things you're going through. There's a human experience in Christ. He knows how to deliver us from all evil and all temptation, doesn't he? And he said, don't worry about it. I'll give you such assurance as I feed you. This word will so connect with your heart and your will and your mind that you will have the assurance that God will take care of us. This should be, all of you here, this should be our Christian testimony in this community, in our homes, to our children, and to our families, where, or people, or friends, wherever they are. That something much bigger than life is in our home and in our life. And he secures us, and he protects us, and he keeps us. And we should be ready always to give an answer to the people that ask us, how are you so sure? How can you be so at peace and there's trouble everywhere? And this is your chance to testify. Because Jesus said he would take care of us. I'm just counting on him to do that. I'm acting like what he said he's doing. The circumstances haven't changed yet. Tension is everywhere in the air, but my faith is in Christ and not my ability to run. I'm going to trust the Lord. Verse 3, Psalms 23. You've got to like this. This is a whole series, not a point, but this is a series of teachings. He restoreth me. He restores me. He restoreth my soul. Soul is me. I'm a, I'm a living soul. Now let me ask you a question. What do you mean by restore? Restore from what? What needs to be restored in your life? If he's restoring me, what does that mean? Have I been stored and need to be again stored? Well, that's not the way that is meant to be said. Nobody that comes to Jesus came to him perfect. Nobody that came to Jesus came to him without much work needed in their life. All we like sheep have gone astray. There's not a righteous one amongst us. And because of an unrighteous nature that we all have and have had growing up in this world, we were trained by the world to express that nature. We learned to lie, to cheat, and to steal, and to criticize, and do wrong, and be afraid, and Everything that is against God, which he would call evil or wicked, we learn to do it. We were by our wicked natures in need of salvation. But God, knowing that we were corrupt and undone, saved us. Jesus died for people like us. There wasn't a good one in this room. Not one. There wasn't a good one in your family tree, including your grandmother or your mother. Sorry. There was not one good person in any of our lives in this room. Some of us were less good than others. Some of us drank sin to the hilt, and yet God saved us. 
He brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light, set our feet upon a rock, and he chose to take something as filthy and as corrupt as we were and establish the thing to do a work in us. The work in us is a work of restoration from something that has fallen to something that is holy. That's the work he does. Our first experience with holiness... Our first experience with being holy was that moment you got born again. Did you know that when you were born again, you were made holy? You didn't act holy, but you were holy. Otherwise, God wouldn't call you a saint. Oh, yeah, the Catholics don't make saints. God makes saints. And you become a saint and not an ain't when God saves you and puts his spirit inside of you. That's his claim on your cluttered life. His, his spirit inside of you, his attachment to you as your Lord and your Savior. With all your impurities, that relationship you have with him in all your problems makes you a saint. St. Thomas. St. Tom, St. Houston, St. Keith, St. Daniel, St. John and Bob, St. Michael, saints. If you look in the mirror, you think, we buy a whole lot of that. Well, now, wait a minute. God didn't bring you to him to leave you ugly, you know, sinful. He brings you to a pasture. He puts you in a field. Puts others just as ugly as you were right there beside you. And he begins to unfold to you his word, his feed. And you begin to see what God has to say. As the Holy Spirit begins to do the work in your heart, he gives you a spirit of wisdom and revelation. And for the first time in your life, you begin to see things in a way you've never seen them before because until the Lord saved you and the Holy Spirit begins to do that work, you couldn't. All you could do was wonder why it doesn't work. Or wonder that, but one day the Lord brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Set you in his presence. Put his claim on your life. Called you beloved. He says, the end of your life will be better than the beginning because I'm going to begin a work on you today. And I am so intense, intent on doing a good work in your life that what I'm starting, I'll finish it. I'm going to take you from one who chases cars To somebody who blesses God. So God brings you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You've never seen spiritual truth before, but now it's God's desire to show you spiritual truth. And every time you make a step towards that spiritual truth, and you give up something that held you back in order to gain something that takes you forward, you begin to change. You begin to change from glory to glory to glory. Little by little in every way. Little by little every day. Jesus is changing me. 
the change is from, isn't it from something to something? From darkness to light, from bad to good, changing you from a person that if you don't change, you will have to be judged. God's fair. But if you don't cooperate and, and nothing happens and th- th- everybody else that acts like you and stays, they're going to be judged. And you're not going to avoid judgment because you go to church. You know, I'm still thinking about the evangelism thing. <laughs> Christian churches are full of people who are so uncertain about death. And we'll get to that in the psalm too. But they're counting on the fact that they're not bad enough to go to hell to go to heaven. They see more of their goodness. Well, I'm not as bad as they are. I'm not that bad. Well, you know, I haven't done anything. Like I haven't killed anybody. I haven't done, uh, you know, I'm not that bad. I mean, surely, surely the, the fairness of God is going to spare me from, uh, from hell. I mean, I haven't, I'm not. And you know what the Bible says? It said, no man is good. The wages of every man's sin is death. We all deserve to die. Nobody's good enough. But the devil can make you think you're good enough, then you'll quit learning. There's no need to try because you're counting on God being good and you're not really all that bad. And you're going to perish. Even those that preached sermons and worked miracles, cast out devils, Jesus said to them, I never knew you. What? I never knew you. No ministry can get you to heaven. No amount of effort and success can get you to heaven. The only thing you can do is yield and trust in God's goodness to get you there. Day by day. And humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and let him change you. And the change we call restoration. He restores my soul from something that was vile to something that God smiles at. It was said in Ephesians 4, we are to grow up into him in all things to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Isn't that still in the Bible? It is still in the Bible. Till we all come in Ephesians 4, till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, that's the feeding part, to a perfect man. To a perfect man. Is it possible that being fed by the Lord can make us like that? Perfect. Make us a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's got to be a wonderful promise. Go back to Psalm 23. We'll close with this. Verse 3. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, that's the second time he talks about leading us and guiding us. Not only did it say that he makes me lie down in green pasture, but he leads me beside the still waters. And in verse 3, he said, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake sake. Let me tell you something. God's people are going to be so changed and affected by God that they will honor God with their life. As he said, they will be called by my name. 
That's what a Christian is. Called by his name. And by his name they will honor that name with a life that is in harmony with what the Lord said. Seek first the kingdom of God and what? His righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. That's what he does. This is who our shepherd is. When you go to bed tonight, this is the one. If even for a moment you say, shepherd, grant me good sleep tonight. He's there. He's by your bed. He's in your heart. He's wherever you are. Loving you. Caring for you. Caring about you. Stopping bad things from happening, keeping this and going. And he's there leading God you to bring you to a place where in the end he says to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We'll pick that up next time. There's a lot more to that verse for his namesake. Amen. God is faithful. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, we are indeed, Lord, a needy people. Very much so. We have need for that moving of your spirit that compels us to be faithful. For that enlightenment of your word that blesses us, that brings the smile and the joy into our life. We need that. We need that. I ask you in the name of Jesus as our great shepherd of the sheep to find us looking at your face, to find us seeking your guidance, to find us desiring your way for our lives, to find us being disciples and learners of your way. If you don't, we can't make it. Grant us in this turbulent world to find peace and joy and have a testimony of victory. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.